Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Good morning, church. Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit. It's been about eight months since the Ukraine war has started. And since then, we've seen the war ebb and flow. We see that Russia took some territory and now Ukraine is trying to take it back. And so they're battling over strategic locations, strategic points of infrastructure, logistic points. So to set themselves up for the grinding war that's going to come up, that's going to be very, very difficult in the up coming winter. So that's what's happening on the physical battlefront. But do you know there's another battle happening at the same time? Concurrently, there's also a cyber battle that is going on. And on the cyber front, they try to take out your system so that you can't function normally. So they try to hit telco services, critical government infrastructure, banking, energy, critical infrastructure, you name it. And of course, there might be a misinformation and fake news effort to try and confuse and demoralize the soldiers as well as the citizens. So in order to win a war, you have to know which battlefronts you are fighting. And there are battlefronts that we see, and there are battlefronts that we don't see. Same for spiritual warfare. There are two battlefronts, persecution and deception. So persecution attacks our faith and deception attacks our truth. So you have been reading since the beginning of this year in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians that they have been hit hard with persecution. And now Paul wants to remind them that there's a second battlefront they need to deal with and that is deception. You know, in order to be a people prepared for the coming king, in order for us to be ready so that we do not fall away in the last days, we must be on guard against spiritual warfare. So in today's word, it reminds us that we must beware of the foe unseen and we need to be awakened to the foe within. Let us read God's word now from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 to 12. I will be reading from the NIV version. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. This is not an easy passage to understand. And in order to understand this section, you have to understand the totality of thought from verse 1 to 12. So in verse 1 and 2, Paul is saying, guys, I know that you're shaken by rumors that Jesus already came, okay? And in verse 3 to 12, then Paul is saying, don't be shaken. It is not true because these are the things that need to happen before Jesus comes back again. So people, be steady, be unshakable. That's what Tim shared with us last week. So Paul here is addressing a people who are anxious and distracted because they were confused about whether Jesus had already come. 
And in their confusion and their anxiety, they had become distracted from their main task, which is to live for God and to live for the gospel. So Paul wanted to end all speculation by reminding them of the sequence of events before Jesus returned. So this is the sequence of events. First of all, there's the rebellion, then the revelation of the lawless one, and then there will be the return of Christ. First, there will be the rebellion, and then the man of lawlessness will be revealed for who he is, and then Christ will return. So if the rebellion hasn't happened, if the lawless one is not yet revealed, then Christ hasn't returned again. So this is what Paul is trying to say from verse 1 to 8. And so he clarifies their speculation and their confusion for them. But that's all good for the Thessalonians. But for us, as modern-day readers, we don't have the context that the Thessalonians have about the man of lawlessness because Paul has never showed up in woodlands here or in any of our halls um, teaching in person about the man of lawlessness as he did in Thessalonica. So for us modern-day Christians, we only hear one side of the conversation, his letter to the Thessalonians at a specific point in time, and that's all we have to go on. So we here, we're trying to fill in the blanks and we're trying to figure out who is this man of lawlessness? What's he talking about? Is it a specific person? So a quick recap from last week about who the man of lawlessness is and what he's about. So firstly, he's a man. Okay, that's like meaning that, needless to say, he's a man, meaning that he's human. He opposes law and lawfulness. He opposes God. And he also proclaims himself to be God. Okay, in my personal view, Perhaps I think it's best to see the man of lawlessness as a type or as a pattern of a man that Satan uses to rebel against God rather than a super-specific person. So beyond that, we don't have any other detail to specifically identify him. And this is a case where there's just enough detail for Paul's purposes, but not enough detail to satisfy all of our curiosity. So what then are we to do with this passage? So first, we need to understand that the Bible is not written to answer all of our questions all of the time with all of the detail. So in other words, the Bible is not Google or Wikipedia. But this is the revealed Word of God that God has given to us to reveal who He is and to give us enough so that we live a life of faith with Him. It gives us all that we need to know to live life with God. So if Paul was here in the sanctuary with us today, I think his counsel to us would be the same as this counsel to Thessalonians, which is don't anyhow speculate and stick to the truth you already know. So with regards to thinking about the end times, I think there are Christians on two ends of one spectrum. So on one side, there are people who endlessly speculate about who the man of lawlessness is, who the Antichrist might be, and they are watching the rapture index very closely. And you're like, there's a rapture index? Did you know that there's a rapture index? It's called the rapture ready index. It quantifies the likelihood of when the rapture is about to take place based on the occurrence of end time activity. So let me quote. You could say that the rapture index is like a Dow Jones industrial average of end-time activity. This line is taken literally from their website. Uh, please don't Google it now, save it for later, thanks. And then there are those who are on the other side of the spectrum, 
those on the opposite end don't think very much about end times at all, or we laugh at people who keep sending us links to things like the Rapture Index. If you had been sitting in church in the past year, you would have heard a lot about preparing to meet King Jesus. So cognitively, we know Jesus is coming back again, coming back very soon. But it seems like a very far away reality, so much so that we diminish it, we don't think very much about it, and we continue living our lives as if it's not going to happen. And so the judgment at the end feels far away, too far away to be really real. So for Christians on both ends of the spectrum, whether the return is too near or too far, I think we probably have the same problem. Deception. One is deceived into distraction like the Thessalonians, and the other end is probably deceived into thinking, into thinking it's too far away and we are deceived into apathy and inaction. And Paul's pastoral concern here is about deception. Deception that distracts them and deception that blinds God's people into apathy and inaction. Deception that eventually causes them to fall away. You know, in the context of 2 Thessalonians, if you take verses 9 and 12 out of the entire passage, actually you wouldn't really miss it. Because Paul had already answered their question, has Jesus come back? So what is the point of verse 9 to 12? The point is, Paul wants to emphasize that behind all that the man of lawlessness does, behind all of his activities, there is a mastermind, Satan. There is a mastermind, Satan. And verse 9 to 10 tells us that a man of lawlessness sets himself up to be a counterfeit God. And he uses counterfeit means to deceive us into following him instead of God. And verse 9 says he uses misleading power and miracles and uses all kinds of wickedness to deceive. So behind all the activity of the man of lawlessness is Satan. And so this deception has tremendous spiritual power and there is tremendous warfare behind it. This deception is spiritual, not just cognitive, and it affects us, affects us deeply spiritually and not just cognitively. It's not just all in our minds. Spiritual warfare is real and we ignore it to our detriment. Spiritual warfare is real and if we ignore it, we ignore it to our detriment. Do you know what a Trojan horse is? Most people know it as a computer virus aimed to disrupt or damage computer networks or to steal your data. And this virus is a name after the story in ancient Greek history about how these soldiers hid themselves in a big wooden horse and then they were um, led into the city of Troy and that's how they conquered Troy. So Trojan horses, they are not really the most devastating of uh, computer viruses that were ever invented. But what is distinctive about how it works is that they can only get onto your device with your help because you have been deceived into thinking that they are something innocuous. Trojan horses are distinctive because they can get onto your device with your help because you have been deceived into thinking that they are something innocuous. So what are some seemingly innocuous things that can do real damage to us as Christians? What are some spiritual Trojan horses that we might allow in? The first one, confusion. 
counterfeit gospels, the deception of counterfeit gospels, gospels that appear to be the real thing, but they are not. And the problem is counterfeit gospels aren't usually outright lies because if something was the complete opposite of what the gospel is, you would be able to tell very, very easily. But deception isn't just the opposite of truth. Deception also happens when there are half-truths and when there are omission of the whole truth. So a gospel that has half-truths or a gospel where the whole counsel of the Bible is not taught, these are the gospels that don't have the whole truth. Like when you only talk about grace, but you never talk about sin. Or when we only talk about God's love, but we never talk about God's holiness. This is when counterfeit teaching really is difficult to spot. So how then are we to spot it? How then are we to discern it? How then do we know the real thing? You know jewellery experts, when they look at diamonds, they just need to look at the little thing, magnifying glass, look at the diamond, and they say, oh, this one is real. How do they know? How they know is not because they spend all of their time looking at the fake stuff. They spend some time looking at the fake stuff, but they spend more of their time looking at the real stuff because they know exactly what a real diamond should look like. When a fake comes along, they know, ah, this one is fake. So the only way in which we can discern what counterfeit teaching is, is when we spend time immersing in the real thing, we immersing in the full thing, and we know it completely in and out. And it's a journey that we must continue to walk in. It's a journey that we must even start on if we haven't started. So as an application, here is a QR code for a Bible project videos. It's on their YouTube channel. I find that these have some of the best primers to solid theology that you can find on YouTube, on the internet. Use them as an add-on to your daily Bible reading. Use them as an add-on to your devotions, onto your Bible study, so that it helps arm you, it helps you understand the full counsel of the Bible with it. Moving on, another spiritual Trojan horse. What might it be? The second thing is seduction, counterfeit pleasures. You know, during the pandemic, they did a survey and they surveyed about 3,000 adults and it was reported back that over 63% reported they increased their online gaming. Over 44% reported that their use of porn has increased. So if these behaviours were driven by isolation during the pandemic, how likely is it that after the pandemic that the numbers would resolve themselves, these behaviours would resolve themselves? The answer is not very likely. So even as Christians, how are we numbing our stress? How are we numbing our pains? Are we pursuing after things that don't really ultimately satisfy? Are we pursuing after seduction, counterfeit pleasures that don't really satisfy us in the end? Another thing, perhaps, ambition, counterfeit power. You know the man of lawlessness, he uses misleading signs and wonders to dazzle people. And why is he able to do that? Because people are dazzled by power. People are attracted to power. We are attracted to power. Because if you have power, it means that you are somebody and we want to be with somebody who is powerful. What is our relationship to power like? Are we motivated to seek it, to pursue it? 
Are you driven to get ahead at work so that you come out ahead in the power dynamic at work? One more thing, perhaps, a spiritual Trojan horse. Distraction. Counterfeit purpose. What are we distracted by while we live on this earth? Earthly things, lah. Die, die, must eat. Die, die, must buy. Die, die, must go to Japan at the end of the year. There are many things that distract us while we live on this earth. And in Singapore, while we're fortunate to live a first world life, many times we also have first world problems. And we are often consumed by our first world problems. So much so that we forget what our ultimate purpose is. So confusion, seduction, ambition, distraction, they are counterfeit gospels, counterfeit pleasures, counterfeit power, counterfeit purpose. And all these things, if they are left unchecked, they eventually lead us down a particular trajectory. It leads us down to eventually to worship these counterfeit gods because when our time, our energy, our attention, our mind space is given over to these things, it will lead us down the road into worshipping them. And we have begun to worship these counterfeit gods. Satan is after worship. Satan wants our worship. And the goal of spiritual warfare is to derail us from worshipping the one true God. And his strategy to do that is to deceive us into thinking that our counterfeit gods are better than God. And this is his greatest deception, that counterfeit gods are better than God. Other gospels are more true than the gospel. Pleasures are more worthy than God. Ambition is more worthy than God. Distractions, life on earth is more worthy than God. And that's Satan's de deception, deceiving us into believing that other things are more worthy than God, deceiving us into worshipping other things rather than God. Spiritual warfare is real. How then do we discern what we are worshipping? How then do we discern where is spiritual reality? How then do we fight this unseen foe? Friends, I tell you there's only one way. This unseen foe that we fight must be fought with unseen weapons. And what we must do is we must pray. Because prayer and intercession is needed more than ever in this spiritual war that we live in. Prayer and intercession is the unseen weapon that we fight with this unseen foe. As an application, it's exam season right now. How are you praying for your kids? Sure, we can pray for maybe the health, we can pray for memory, we can pray for clarity as they sit their exams. But how about we take a spiritual lens to it? and then we take a few steps further in praying for them to intercede not just for their success, but their complete spiritual well-being. For example, let's pray for protection over their minds. Pray that their self-worth does not lie in their grades, and the evil one will not deceive them into thinking so. And pray that they may be able to learn to turn their stress and all their problems over to God and not give in to a sense of meaninglessness. Pray perhaps over their emotions, that even when they go through friendship issues, when they go through a lot of stress, or they feel excluded and they don't feel belong to 
a group of friends pray that Satan won't be able to use it to isolate them. Pray for protection over their bodies. That in this hyper-sexualized world that we live in, the hyper-sexualized digital world that they live in, that they be kept from harm and addictions. Let's pray for our families. Let's pray for our children. Let's discern the spiritual realities around and let's pray and intercede for them. So this is just an example of how you could intercede for your children. Do the same for yourself. Do the same for your parents, your family, for your friends, your CG members. Pray for your leaders. Discern the same things. Because we need to pray the Word and the Spirit and discern the spiritual realities around us and intercede for our loved ones and the people around us. We need to beware the foe unseen. And so we need to pray. So that's the first thing we need to do in a spiritual battle. We need to beware the foe unseen. The second thing that we need to do is to be awakened to the foe within. You see, Satan is the master deceiver. But in this passage, Paul tells us that the starting point of deception isn't Satan. Surprisingly so. The starting point of deception is actually our own hearts. Let us read verse 10 again. And they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Just as there was a sequence before the return, there's also a sequence before the judgment and condemnation. And here is the sequence. First, there's a refusal to love the truth. Then comes deception and wickedness and the hardening of hearts as they persist in their wickedness. And then there is judgment and condemnation. So while Satan is the real unseen enemy causing havoc through all his deception, there is another enemy that we must be awakened to. And the starting point of deception does not start with Satan, but within our own hearts. Because by refusing to love the truth, the door to deception is open. And they spiral down in more deception, they spiral down in wickedness, and their hearts are hardened. And then, as they persist in their wickedness, judgment and condemnation comes at the end. John Stott says, behind the great deception, there lay the great refusal. Behind the great deception, there lay the great refusal. It's a big spiral downwards. And one of the problematic things that we encounter with this verse is, first of all, how can it be that God is condemning them when it says that He's the one who is deceiving them because He's the one who sent them a delusion, right? So isn't it, firstly, isn't sending a delusion and deceiving them at odds with God's character? Secondly, then how can he condemn later if he bluffed them? That's quite unfair, right? So in order to consider this, we must first think about what does it really mean to refuse to love the truth. In Greek, it's literally translated as the love of truth receive not. It's as if Yoda wrote this. So imagine someone is sending you a care pack and then someone is sending you bubble tea, okay? Good stuff is coming to you and then from a far 
away in the corridor, you see the delivery man coming at you and he's carrying in his hand grapefruit green tea with conject jelly, 30% sugar, less ice with Yakult. And then he's coming to you with the bubble tea in hand and just before he reaches the door, you slam the door on his face. The love of bubble tea, receive not. Receive not can also be translated as welcome not, accepted not. So something wonderful is coming your way, it is offered to you, and then you decide to slam the door on it. This is why it's translated here as refuse to love the truth, because the truth is not received, it is not welcome, it is not accepted, it is not wanted. I don't want it. Who then are these people who refuse the truth? The sobering thing is that while Paul can be referring to unbelievers outside the church, those who refuse the truth can also be people sitting inside this very hall, sitting in front of the screen as you sit at home. Because in Matthew 24, verse 9 to 13, it tells us that some will turn away and their love will grow cold in the last days. Verse 9 says, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all the nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. In the last days, the love of many will grow cold. But how can you refuse the truth if you're a Christian, apparently a Christian, right? Because it's not just refusing the truth here, it's refusing to love the truth. And to love the truth is to embrace it, to welcome it, to fully accept it. And when you fully accept and you fully receive it, you are changed by it. What's happening is that you're allowing God's word to master you and to master your life. You're allowing God's word to come in and to master you, to change you, and to master your life. And to refuse to love the truth is to refuse to let ourselves be mastered by God's Word. You know, for some of us, God's Word kind of bounces off our lives. We come and hear a sermon and we leave unaffected, we leave unchanged, we leave untransformed. We don't spend time with God in His Word and we think it's okay because God understands it's not that God doesn't understand. But when we don't receive it, we don't welcome it, and we don't do this on a regular basis, there's no way that we're going to be changed and transformed by God's Word over time. Do you know how calluses form on your feet? Do you know what calluses are? So calluses are those plaques of hardened, thickened skin that formed on your feet um, due to um, your shoes are too tight. Um, so when your shoes are too tight, the pressure causes your skin to react negatively by forming a new layer. So something rubs against the skin, and the skin reacts by forming a layer. And when it rubs again and again, it forms another layer, another layer, another layer. And it is this reaction to pressure again and again that formed thickened and hardened skin over time. So calluses form. Thickened, hardened skin form when your skin habituates to this kind of pressure over time. Same thing with our heart responses. God comes knocking 
and we shut the door in his face and we do it again and again. And over time, what we are doing is we are habituating refusing truth. We are habituating refusing God. And which is not surprising then that over time, our hearts can harden and turn very cold. And if we persistently refuse him, if we persistently shut the door in his face, God will give us over into the hardening of our hearts and will give us over into further delusion. It is a matter of God giving us up to our debased minds and God saying, okay, if you insist, have it your way, including the consequences of such a choice. It all begins with a choice. It all begins with the choices that we make. C.S. Lewis said this, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. Friends, we must recognize the enemies that we are dealing with, the unseen enemy, Satan, who causes havoc with deception. But it begins with the enemy within our own rebellious hearts to refuse to love and embrace the truth of God and be mastered by it. What do our hearts love? It shows in who we embrace. The truth is the truth of the gospel, and to embrace the love of the truth, to embrace the love of the gospel is to embrace the love of Jesus Christ. Because truth is not abstract. Truth is a person. Truth is fully revealed in the incarnation, in the person of Jesus Christ. And when we love the truth, we are welcoming, receiving, accepting, embracing wholeheartedly the love of Jesus Christ again. In the end, it all comes down to the condition of our hearts. Is our heart today tender towards God? Or is it hardened and deadened to God? So much so that your sensitivity to God and to His voice is dulled. You know, friends, it's also no coincidence that our Breakthrough Weekends is coming up. And the leadership has been sensing that for many of us, especially leaders, we need a spiritual breakthrough for us to encounter God again. Because we desperately need it, we desperately need this spiritual awakening, this spiritual revitalization in our lives again. So if that's you, if God is speaking to you today, would you sign up with your CG, sign up with your friends, and come for the breakthrough weekend? Friends, today I spoke about spiritual warfare, about deception, to beware of the foe unseen, and to be awakened to the foe within our very own hearts. Satan wants to deceive us and to draw us away from loving God wholeheartedly. So today, would you be awakened to where your heart really, really is? You know, speaking of Breakthrough Weekends, about five years ago, I had a very exciting time at the Breakthrough Weekend. Um, the Breakthrough Weekend had ended, and it was super memorable because my husband and I went to the car, loaded all our luggage in, and we turned the car key, and nothing happened. Our car broke down. 
we were thankful that there was actually a professional car guy within the marriage breakthrough. He actually tried to help us fix our car, but he said, sorry, even I cannot fix it. Let's take it to the workshop just down there. So we managed to wrangle the car down the car ramp, I think five stories, I don't know how. Um, we just slowly went down, went to the car workshop next door, and then the mechanic said, okay, let's try a new battery, put in a new battery. Didn't work. Maybe it's the starter tried the starter, also didn't work. So we went around to five different places in JB that day, and in the end, we gave up. So we did something super dramatic. We towed the car all the way from JB, all the way through the immigration back to Singapore. It cost us an arm and a leg. Yeah, maybe next time take the bus, huh? <laughs> so when we put the car in the car workshop, and the next day, the diagnosis was given to us. And they said, oh, it's not the battery, it's not the starter, it's the fuse box. And I had a very important question for him. What is the fuse box? Uh? The fuse box sits in between the starter and the battery. So the battery is fine, the starter is fine. But the fuse box builds the connection between the starter and the battery. So everything is working, but if the fuse box is dead, nothing works. When the fuse box is dead, nothing works. When the fuse box is dead, nothing works. What is the state of your fuse box today? What is the state of your heart today? God hasn't changed. Jesus still loves us. The Holy Spirit is always available to speak to us, to lead us and to guide us. But where is our heart today? What is our fuse box like today? Friends, friends at home, today God calls us to a spiritual restart. He wants to give you a new heart. He wants to give you a new spirit. Because by ourselves, we cannot love God more because our hearts are so deceptive, our hearts are so divided that we can't love God more. And we need Him to come and exchange our heart for a new heart today. So today, would you come back to Him? Would you come back to Him and say, God, here is my heart again. Would you take it? Would you exchange it? Take this heart of stone and would you give me a heart of flesh today, that I may come back to a wholehearted and undivided love and worship of you this day. Even as we close our eyes, I'm going to invite the worship team to come and minister to us this song, Come Holy Spirit. Would you make this a prayer? And as we sing a couple of verses and let the songs, the words of the song sink into our hearts, I will come back to give us a response and a call. Come, Holy Spirit, fall on me now. You may stand. I need your anointing.
other things that compete so many other things that we love instead of Jesus and yet we are deceived into not knowing that they are there and we're deceived and we don't even know that our hearts are so divided and we wonder why is there no more joy why is there no more vitality why is there no more peace why is there no more life Friends, do you want your heart to love again? Do you want your heart to love Jesus completely, wholeheartedly, undividedly again? It's not about trying harder, my friends. Today, God asks you, would you come to me so that I can give you a heart transplant? Would you come to me so I can remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh? to change your heart completely so that you can love me again. If that's you, whether you're at home or whether you're in Woodlands, in this sanctuary, would you raise your hands to say to God, I want to love you again. I want to love you wholeheartedly again. No more counterfeit gods dividing my heart. I want to love you completely again. If that's you, would you raise your hand to the Lord, not to me. And would you receive this from the Lord? Father, I pray to see the desire of our hearts. And our hearts are faint. Our hearts are weak. Our hearts are divided. And by ourselves, we cannot. But Jesus, you can come and give us a new heart. So today we ask for a new heart and a new spirit. Remove this stony heart within us that we might come back to you and be spiritually awakened, be spiritually vitalized because our heart is whole once again. 
Our fuse box is no longer dead. Our heart is no longer dead. Bring us back to you, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And in response, would you sing the song afresh with all of your hearts to say, Come, Holy Spirit, take over. My life is yours. some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892-6811 or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.